All right. Uh, I'm going to talk about Prince of Peace. Um, I'm going to talk about having peace with your circumstances. And I recognize within the room today, there's not a whole lot of peace, primarily because some of you know that there are presents under the tree and you still have to wait, some of you a day, some of you two days before you get to tear into them. Uh, we've got a little four-year-old that she just may spontaneously combust if she doesn't get to open her present soon. Every day, she just about explodes because she wants to open her presents. If you remember the Tasmanian devil, that's what Christmas morning is like with her. The older kids, you know, they're cool. They handle it. They, come, they sleep in a little bit. They get up and they manage everything with ease. When you're four years old, that doesn't happen, right? It's all in. I got to get in. I got to get out. I got to see what I got. So uh, I know that uh, some of you are super excited and anxious. My parents used to tell me, uh, we, our family continues a tradition on Christmas Eve. We go out and do a bunch of fun stuff together. We try to have all shopping done so we can just do a bunch of fun stuff together. Because when I was a kid, I was that Tasmanian devil. And so they needed to get me out. Do you all know what the Tasmanian devil is? Some of you who are older are like, yeah, man. And some of you who are younger are like, what in the world are you talking about? But... Uh, and that was me. And so they would, we would go out and see a movie. We'd go out to eat. We'd go walk around the mall, which is a terrible thing to do on Christmas Eve. I'll tell you right now. And, uh, but we would go do all those things together as a family. We now do that with our, our kids and, um, it's a great time. So I'm excited for you for what you're about to experience. I'm super excited about what you have done to prepare Christmas for other people. Um, I want you to know the amount of gifts that you have given for several families that we have helped over Christmas has been staggering. I mean, staggering. Uh, the number of carloads it has taken, truckloads it has taken to get stuff to these families has just been tremendous. And so I hope that you have found throughout this Christmas season, I know that once you embrace the concept that giving, that Christmas season is an opportunity to be giving, that that is so much more rewarding than the receiving. So um, thank you for, for doing that and for continuing to do that. I, I want you to know we're going to continue to look for opportunities to partner with some of these families and see ways that we can help, ways that we can be a part of their lives. And uh, if you would like to continue to do that, we'll let you know how that can happen. Um, so I'm very excited about what we've seen um, just over the last few weeks. Uh, in our time together on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about Prince of Peace. And why is it that when the angels heralded the coming of Christ, they said, there will be peace on earth and goodwill among those whom God is pleased. And yet here we are 2,000 years later realizing that there's still not a lot of peace in the earth, right? And so for the last three weeks, we've talked about what that looks like when Jesus said, I'm bringing peace to the earth. And we understand that peace does not always mean a lack of conflict. It doesn't always mean a lack of tension. In fact, Jesus himself loved to put things in tension rather than just give us an easy answer. He loved to put us a little at odds with understanding what he's saying. When we went through the series on parables, we looked at his teachings and often the disciples were like, what are you talking about? And he would pull them aside and he would say, well, let me explain it, make it a little more simple for you. Uh, he loves to put things at tension. Whenever we talk about peace, that is not what he's promising us a life of ease without worry, without fear, without anxiety. And first week we talked about what is most important about peace at Christmas, and that is Jesus came so that we could be at peace with God. 
peace with God, which is different than being at peace with other people. So you can be at peace with God and still have conflict with other people. You cannot be at peace anywhere if you are not at peace first with God. We followed that up by talking about the reality of, well, how do we get that kind of peace? The scripture says, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to provide you a peace that passes understanding, kind of peace in difficult circumstances that you can't explain and you can't understand, but you have it anyways. And we find that peace comes through the Holy Spirit. So as we have peace with God and we receive the Holy Spirit, God's peace comes to us by our ability to walk faithfully, not only with Christ, but with the Holy Spirit within our lives. Last week, we had an interesting talk together. Uh, it was not my favorite. I, had to, I don't feel like I did a great job, but I felt very good about what I shared with you. And that is that we are to mimic what God is doing in the world and that we are to be peacemakers. Not only are we to seek peace in our own lives, we are to seek to be agents of peace for others. And the reason that is, is because that is what God is doing. God is seeking to be at peace with others. And so he sent his son so that we could be at peace with him. And he even called us to be that. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the what? Yeah, not the fight starters. He didn't say that. Not blessed are the, the fight starters. So, you know, uh, I look on Facebook sometimes and I think somebody misread scripture, you know? Like, I'm starting a fight and I love it. And I'm like, gosh, just stop that. But, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. Interestingly, I had a ton of conversations with people after that, that message. With what I anticipate, what anticipated then and continue to anticipate is a rub for us. And that is the reality that we do have relationships with people that do not value peace. And so what do we do in those relationships? What do we do when we're trying to faithfully mimic what Christ is doing? We are trying to faithfully follow him. And yet what we are struggling with is the ability to actually have that peace. Some of you at Christmas time are going to struggle for peace with other people. Amen? Don't say amen. Just kidding. That was, a com- that was complete baiting right there. All right? Some of you are like, yeah, if I said it, they're sitting right next to me, right? You know, and, and you're struggling because Christmas is not a peaceful time until you can get away from certain family members, right? So how do you deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that we have to work with people? They don't value peace. It's like they thrive on conflict and they love to get you in on it. Whenever we... Look at our kids. We often are like the, the younger ones often bait the older kids, right? They kind of bait them into a fight. And really what they're wanting is attention. And they'll take it however they can get it. So they needle and they make fun and they joke and they, you know, annoy and do things. I do that too, by the way. You don't, kids aren't the only ones who do that. My kids will tell you I annoy a lot and have a lot of fun with it. I learned it from my mother, those of you who think my mother is a saint. I learned it from her. Um, and ask anyone in my family, and they will tell, tell you that that is absolutely the truth. But um, what does it look like to have peace with others? And so I want to share, I've got several things to share with you. If you're following on the version, you can take this home and you've got it all. I, I, to be honest, I'm not planning to, to go too long. I, I just wanted to 
share a couple of things with you. One of the questions I wanted to, to ask was, how do we become peacemakers? Just following up from last week, when someone won't let us have peace, should we avoid them? Should we just say, you know what? We can't have peace. I, we just need to stay away from each other. And there's a lot of places in the scripture we could come up with an answer that fits with the way we want it to be. If we want that answer to be yes, well, we can point to places where Jesus says, listen, go and share the gospel. And if people don't want to have, they don't want to hear what you have to say, if they don't want to buy what you're selling, then knock the dust off your feet and walk away. Just leave them in the dust. Go. We can also find places in scripture where it says, listen, if you're in conflict with somebody, and especially if it's a spouse and you know, things aren't going well and they're not a believer, then, you know, should you go or should you leave? And, and Paul says, hey, you should, you should stay. <laughs> and if, when stay and to the point that maybe they will come to the place of knowing Christ through you. So we can find in scripture lots of different places on, well, how should we handle this problem? And I just wanted to share with you two things, two examples. And then I was, I want to talk with you just about how do we deal with anxiety in general, not just at Christmas, but in general in life. Jesus gave a couple of examples of what do you do when you're trying to be at peace with people that don't want to be at peace with you. Or, and examples that, what about people who just don't care about what is good and what is right? How should we respond to that? One of them is in Luke chapter 13, and we don't know the whole story, but this is a story where Pilate has come into the temple in Jerusalem, and for whatever reason, he has slaughtered some of those that are making sacrifices in the temple. And we don't know why he did this. We just know they're Galileans. And these are, so these are Jews. And they have come into the temple to make their sacrifices. And Pilate has killed them. This is how Jesus responds to those saying, well, what should we do about this? Obviously, he doesn't want peace with us. It says in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? This is what Jesus is saying. Are you saying that the way that they died is all their fault? It was their sin. They deserve to have this happen. He says in verse 3, no, I tell you, but look what he does when brought when it is brought before them a major issue of justice of somebody doing something wrong to somebody else, and especially at this point within the faith. He says, no, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, why do I share this story with you? Jesus consistently, when faced with the bad behaviors of others, said, be more concerned about your own sin than being preoccupied with someone else's. Now, that doesn't fly in today's culture. Because we're supposed to be completely preoccupied with what everyone else is doing wrong. Let them know. And if they don't straighten up to all our friends that believe the way we do, what they're doing so they will shame them. That's the way culture works. Jesus didn't say, you should go shame Pilate. You should get all people together, get on Twitter and talk about how bad he is, right? What he said was, you need to consider your own life. What's going on within your heart? 
rather than be worried about what he's doing and be preoccupied with the fact that he is not following the right steps, playing by the right rules. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your heart? That transfers to the part of if you have a coworker or a family member that you're at odds with and you're like, I don't know what to do with these people. I just, I'm so angry because they just won't, they won't, they just keep at it. Jesus would say to you, be less concerned with what they're doing wrong and be more concerned that you are doing right. And when you begin to take that perspective, it begins to change your relationships with other people. Another place in Matthew chapter 22, and this is where Tiberius Caesar is charging unfair taxes on the Jews. Now, you have to understand that in Jewish culture, before they became, uh, you know, this annexed state of Rome, they did not pay taxes to any foreign pagan government. It was all about giving to God. Now, there were two different groups in this time that struggled with this problem now that they're under Roman rule and that they have to pay taxes to Romans. Those who were pure in their faith said it is against the law for us to pay taxes to Rome. And yet there were a certain group of Jews that lived in that area. They were called Herodians because they were faithful to Herod. And they said, oh, we are Jews, but they are now ruling us. We should pay taxes to them. So Jesus is here with these Pharisees who say we should not pay taxes to Rome and these Herodian Jews who says well you should pay taxes to Rome and this is the conversation that followed verse chapter 22 verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, their malice being, they're trying to trip him up. He's not going to get out of this conversation without somebody being super mad at him. Either the Pharisees are going to be mad at him because he says you should pay your taxes, or the Herodians are going to be mad at him because he says you shouldn't pay your taxes. They're trying to trap him. And Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, and this is where we get this well-known verse In Scripture, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. In other words, do what you've got to do here in this world, but recognize you are no longer of this world. You need to be concerned with the things of God. That is your primary concern. So he consistently says, back away from what you see as the injustice in the world and stay focused on the fact that Jesus has come to cure the injustice of sin and our war with him. So I want to leave this with you as we talk about peacemakers. There are going to be plenty of times at home, at work, with your neighbors, in the church, with your spouse, your best friend, that you are not at peace. It's going to happen. Some of you are experiencing that right now. Rather than being angry or fearful or trying to force them into submission, Jesus would said, would say, be certain to take care of your faith first. 
Make sure you are in the right place. You are doing the right thing. You are being a good example. You are being a peacemaker just as Christ came as a peacemaker. You are loving people. You are loving God. You are demonstrating the gospel. And no matter how anyone else responds to you, that doesn't matter. And when your focus becomes focused on Christ then how other people respond to you begins to matter less. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that sounds good, Mark. That sounds very simplistic. And I will just say, I have found that following Jesus, when the farther you move into simplistic, the more true it becomes. Because he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We make it complicated. You've got to agree with me. This is my moral compass. You've got to do the things that I think we should do. And that has caused division, not only among people, among nations, among friends in school, friends at church, denominations, streams of faith that never should have been there. If we kept Christ at the center of our focus and said, I'm going to follow him and do the things that he says. Again, Jesus says, and this is crucial For understanding how do you deal with stress, anxiety, and a lack of peace within your life, Jesus says, change your focus and your perspective because you sure can't change them. So some of you who are going to go spend time with family, and it's stressful time, you do it because you're supposed to do it, but you wouldn't do it if you didn't have to. Change your focus. Change your perspective. You're going not as a member of the family. You're going as an agent of the body of Christ. So be Christ in wherever, the, wherever you go. Some of the different reasons we have for anxiety, I was just thinking through. I can't, I, we really need to do a series on this, so I'm not going to try to answer everything we possibly can, and you know I couldn't. And even if we did a, a, a series for years, we couldn't answer every issue. I just think about why do we have anxiety? Does anybody ever have anxiety in the room? Anybody ever anxious, struggle? Anybody worry, have any fears? Yeah? Think things might go wrong sometime or another? Yeah? Those of you who aren't raising your hands, you're super anxious because you won't even raise your hand. I, I can't let people know. I can't let people, I'm scared to death. They know I'm anxious. I'm scared to death. I'm not going to tell them. So, you know, the, we all have it in different ways and different places and different reasons. Some of it's over money. Some of it's over our jobs, our careers, our, you know, our retirement. How am I going to live? Some of it's over our health. Am I going to be healthy? Am I going to get sick? Some of it's over somebody else that is healthy or not healthy. Someone who is not going to be able to make it. Maybe it's a, a family member and you're not sure how they're going to continue on and you're not sure that you can care for them. There's all kinds of, of things that happen within life. So basically, I think a, a lot of the reasons for our anxiety fall into these things. One, I haven't done something I need to do. There's something I need to do. I haven't done it. I'm anxious. That's an easy fix, right? We do the thing we're supposed to do. So that's common for our lives. We invite stress and anxiety when we have basic responsibilities. Here it is at Christmas time. You want to take some days off. You know that report was due at work for the last 60 days, and you've waited till now, the day before Christmas Eve, to get it done. Now you're stressed. Now you're anxious. You were supposed to get something done. You didn't get it done. 
Now, what is the answer? Go get it done. Those are easy. A second thing is someone else hasn't done something they're supposed to do. Anxiety meter goes up. You've got to finish a report, but you can't because the person who was supposed to get you all the data didn't get you the data. And there's nothing you can do about it. So now your anxiety goes up because I'm supposed to do something. Maybe it's some other part of your life. Deidre and I, we are constantly talking about how do we take care of the kids, right? How do we keep them living? Do you all ever have those conversations? You should. They're good. Good conversations. And I'm just being open and honest. You think all we talk about is how do we teach them to love Jesus? Sometimes it's like, I'm not sure these kids are going to make it. I'm not sure they're going to make it to adulthood. I, either, either we're going to drop the ball or we're going to kill them ourselves. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. Don't tell anybody I said that. We love our children. They're wonderful, beautiful children. Never do anything wrong. They're great. Blessing to us all, all the time. All the time. No, they really are. Sometimes it's like, hey, who's taking care of this? And I'm like, you said you were going to take care of this. And she's like, no, you said you were going to take care of this. And I'm like, no, you said you were going to take care of this. And she's like, no, no, you said you were, you know, so we go back and forth and it's like, okay, so nobody's taking care of this. Anxiety goes up, gets a little harder. What are we going to do whenever we're relying on somebody else to do something? A third way that we bring anxiety into our lives, something is happening that I don't have control of. I went for my physical, and I didn't, get, I didn't expect the second follow-up phone call. I'm not in control anymore. I went to work, and I realized everyone around me was cleaning out their desks. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do next. <laughs> not in control. You know, sometimes it's a phone call, and you get that call that something has happened in the middle of the night, and there's nothing you can do to stop what's coming. You know, it's, it happens. This is one of the most prevalent reasons we struggle with anxiety is because what we want ultimately within our lives is to be able to control what's going on. If we gave Malia control in our life, we would have, she would not even open a Christmas present. We would just go and buy her anything she wants and she would get it immediately. She wants to be in control of that. The fact that she has to wait means it's out of her control and she's like, ah, I mean, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. A lot of our anxiety is the fact that we want to be in control. And if I cut to the end, God is saying, let me do that. Let me be that. In fact, a lot of our growth in our our faith, that sanctification, that process of working out our salvation and, and following Christ is a process of realizing that we have to give more and more and more control to God. It's not like we have to give it to him. Like he's like, gosh, I would do this, but you just won't let me. You know, that God is somehow handicapped and, and, and we have to forfeit control. He can do whatever he wants. It's a matter of us, again, changing our focus and perspective to say, I don't have to have control. So if you can come to a place in your life that you don't have to have control, you fight the very enemy on terms that it's not ready to fight. Because you give it away to somebody else and you say, I'm going to be okay no matter what. Another way that we bring on anxiety that some of you may be struggling with is that someone is intentionally trying to hurt you or someone you care about. Now, those are fighting words, right? I I know when my sister and I were growing up, oh, we would fight. Not now. You know, we got over that a couple years ago, but we would fight. (laughs) And, And then we would get in trouble. 
because dad wasn't having any of it. And, um, but if somebody tried to hurt her, <laughs> oh, it, you're in trouble. I mean, if somebody tried to hurt me, you were in trouble. You know, it, when someone is intentionally trying to hurt you or someone you love, how do you deal with that? What do you do with that? For some of you, this is a very real reality, and this is why the conversation of anxiety is such a problem to do in a setting even like this, is a reality that some of you have a body that all, the, all of a sudden it says, through all its chemical processes, you are about to die. And you're not thinking it, and nothing's happening, you're not in danger, but your heart is pumping, your adrenaline's pumping, and your, your brain is emitting chemicals that says, you're about to die, and then all of a sudden you feel like, I'm about to die, and I don't know why. There are very real physical causes for anxiety that no, mat, no amount of willpower will overcome. If your body is wired in a way to pump all of those anxiety-inducing chemicals into you at weird times, you've got to talk to somebody who knows how to, how to manage that. You can read your, your Bible, and the Holy Spirit can heal you and do all kinds of incredible things, but I'm telling you, if all of a sudden your adrenaline starts spiking and nothing's happening, you need to go talk to a doctor. It's not just about having willpower. One of my struggles in understanding whenever, you know, we read Scripture and it says, don't worry. I mean, that, that's, that's like one of the worst verses to read to somebody. And if, you, if somebody's not a follower of Christ and, and you walk up to them and say, hey, Bible says, don't worry. Don't do that. Because they say, well, too late. And many Christians say, if I'm not supposed to worry, why do I? Does that mean God's not at work? Does that mean God doesn't care? Does that mean I'm a bad Christian? That is not what he's saying. Just like things that happen in our lives that we don't have control are a huge thing that sets off anxiety and panic. The second, or this is maybe the first, that draws this response out of us is that I'm about to lose something I don't want to lose. I'm about to get my pay cut. And I can barely make it now. I don't want to lose that. My child is sick. I don't want to lose that. Things aren't going well at home. I don't want to lose that. Things aren't going well at work. I don't want to lose that. As we get older, I go in the gym. And I look at these young guys. And I'm like, everything hurts a little more. And it's a little harder than it used to be. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to lose my ability to go to the gym, right? There's all kinds of things. The fear of loss is one of the primary ways that the enemy wants to entrap and enslave you. Here's what I want to tell you about this. Number one, anxiety is a normal part of life. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe what anybody has to say to you. If you're a Christian, you won't be anxious about anything. Anxiety is a normal part of life. If you want to you want a scripture to point to? Why don't you just point to Jesus in the garden before he was crucified when he was so anxiously praying before God that he sweat drops of blood and his whole body began, the whole process of his body adjusted under the anxiety of the, what he was about to go through. If Jesus experienced anxiety and he was without sin and he is the son of God, both fully God and fully man, and he had anxiety, why do we think we will not? Anxiety is a normal part of life. The reality that we as Christians try to believe that somehow I can come to a spiritual state where I never am anxious about anything is unrealistic, and it's just wrong. 
And that creates within itself its own anxiety that we are failing at being a follower of Jesus. And so it is a self-defeating cycle. Anxiety is a normal part of life. It is that fight or flight response. Sometimes it goes haywire. And sometimes we get under such a burden that things fall on us one time after the other like dominoes that we then expect everything to fall on us. And that fight or flight instinct doesn't seem to ever stop. Anxiety becomes a problem when it changes the trajectory of your life. I'm anxious about Christmas. I'm going to be honest. We still got several things to do. Last night we were cleaning the house. We've got family coming to spend the night. We were trying to get presents wrapped. We were trying to deal with some, uh, you know, things going on within our family. And I was anxious. I'm anxious about getting everything through. I'm a little anxious about this sermon this morning already. I'm a little anxious about how things will go tonight. And then we'll get into Christmas and that will be fun until now we got to go visit all the other family members. I'm a little anxious about that too. Right? That's just things. If I had my druthers, it would just be me in my chair and something to drink, preferably eggnog, sometimes spiked. Amen. (laughs) All right. Netflix on reruns. Okay. Babylon 5, by the way, any old sci-fi fans? Babylon 5's on Netflix. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I didn't realize how low, how low res it was <laughs> when I watched it when it first came out and how, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's really, that's, that's like, you know, middle school play kind of, it was bad, but man, I used to love it. But that's me, you know, no anxiety. I don't, you know, my phone is turned off. I'm not checking my email, but that's not what my next few days are going to look like. It's going to be fun, and I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I'm very much looking forward to seeing our family. Anxiety becomes a problem, though, when it changes the trajectory of your life. You now make decisions based on avoiding anxiety. I think about Paul and Peter and Many of the apostles, when they were faced with the reality that you will stop teaching about Jesus or you will be jailed or worse. And they said, how can we, having experienced this Christ, be silent about him? Anxiety becomes a problem when we do whatever we have to do to avoid anxiety. Because sometimes it is the anxiety that God is pushing you through because he has something on the other side. And you've got to get through it. This is a season. This is a time. This is not going to last forever. You have to keep going. Whenever we begin to shut down because of it, it's a problem. We end relationships with others, it's a problem. When we are driven by fear, it's a problem. When we go to school and we're scared we're going to see those particular kids at school, it's a problem. That if we'll do everything we can to get away from that, that halts our growth. It says we have to be in control. We do not trust that God is good and that he is doing something in our lives. When it changes the trajectory of our life. Luke 12, says, Jesus, talking to his disciples, he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't you love those verses? He's completely saying the opposite of what I've just been saying. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Verse 25 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Change your focus. Change your perspective. 
God's got this. You can't add in a day or an hour to your life that he can. God's got this. We fight anxiety by changing our perspective. That's how we fight it. It doesn't mean that we just ignore it or that we pretend that it isn't there. It means we change the way we interact with it. Luke 12 says this. This is a parable of the rich fool. I find this so interesting because it introduces another section of Scripture we often talk about being anxious. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, talking about Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said to the man who made me judge or arbiter over you. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions or those things in which we fear loss, which leads to anxiety. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Our idea of life without anxiety. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Change your perspective. You're working so hard to avoid any kind of problem within your life. You want to reach a place where I'm just set and I'm good. He says, you don't know what's going to, how this is going to work out. Good friend of mine, when she was, oh, about 15 years ago, I know she had breast cancer. That's young. We're planning for that. You can't expect to know exactly how things are going to go. What Jesus is saying is not that you shouldn't prepare for the future. I've got a retirement account, and I hope you do too. But what he's saying is don't put your trust in the things that you can control. Because those things are not trustworthy. There is one who is trustworthy. He is God. Let him be in control and follow what he is doing, and stop feeling like you have to make sure that everything works out the way you want it to work out. But I will be honest, I'm preaching to myself because I want to live my life that way. I want to dictate how things are going to go. I want to avoid all the problems and all the obstacles. I want to make sure I get the most out of this life. But what God is saying is, but you can't do that. So why stress about it? Well, okay. But that bill does kind of sound like he's just saying don't stress and i feel stress what jesus is saying here is that you should take care of what you have control over but let god worry about everything else i can go to work i can not skip work i can earn a paycheck i can put some away for a rainy day if something else comes along god's got that and if that god's getting that means that he Empties out our bank account. God's got that too. That means we have to move out of our house. Well, God's got that too. And if it means that we have to go find ways to feed our family, that means that we have to rely on others. Well, guess what? God's got that too. Once you become comfortable with the reality that God is working, even when someone else says your life is falling apart, then you rest in the reality that God loves you and God is working and you don't have to be in control. 
But I know that's not an easy place to get. This is why we have to grow into this. This follows into Jesus' very well-known teaching about being anxious in Luke 12, next verse 22. He said to his disciples, and I read that parable because that sets up his talk about don't be anxious. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much better value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, what are you, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom. Change your perspective. Change your focus. All these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heaven that that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So in other words, what he's saying is, wherever your treasure is, that's what you're protecting. That's what you're most anxious about. And if that's about food or clothing or money or retirement or whatever, then you're going to fear the loss of those things, and those are all highly volatile in anybody's life. But if your treasure is God, there is nothing volatile about that. And that lasts forever, just like our video we watched earlier. That lasts forever. Nothing can take you away from him or him away from you. But lots of things can take you away from these other treasures. What he's saying is, is put your heart in the place where you don't have to fear you're losing anything. And the only place that exists like that is in God himself. When we change our perspective to one of faith, it changes the way that we deal with, cert- with difficult circumstances. Paul describes it like this in Philippians 4, another well-known passage about this. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's talking to church at Philippi who would sometimes support him, sometimes not. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be Oh, I love this word. Content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. (laughs) In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That does not mean you can get through the Chick-fil-A line faster than anyone else. It doesn't mean that I'm going to pick up this instrument, I'm not going to ever practice, and I'm going to become an expert at it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean that I can go and I can anymore pick on my oldest son and I can still beat him. Even though I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's now stronger than me. 
we as Christians so abuse this verse because that is not what he's talking about. I'm going to go in and I'm going to get this job because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then you don't get the job. So then now who's on the hook for that? There is value in just having unashamed faith in what God can do. But claiming it for what we want is a misuse of what Paul is saying. But instead, he's saying, when things are good, I'm okay. When things are bad, I'm okay. When things are going wrong, I'm okay. When things are going right, I'm okay. When everybody's here around me supporting me, I'm doing great. When no one is around me supporting me, I'm doing just as good. Because I can do all things through him who gives me strength when it, so it doesn't matter what else is going on in my life. This is where I want to be. This is where I hope you will be. And the fact that dealing with anxiety is a place of coming and saying, no matter what God you want to do, you want to take away, you want to give, you want to make me live with much, you want to make me live with little, I'm okay because you're with me. I have you. You are my treasure. That is not my treasure. For some of us, we need to get anxiety out of our lives by realigning what our true treasure is. I love the baby dedication. Your treasure should not be your children. They are a treasure. Scripture describes them as being arrows in your quiver. And and, and really, when we begin to look at what that means, that means that I get to shoot these kids at people. That's not really what it means. But what what it means is... These kids are coming out from me as an extension of God's love. And so whatever influence I have in the world, I'm training them to do that too. Because God's got a purpose for their lives separate from mine. For a while with mine and then separate from mine. Your kids can't be your treasure. Your spouse can't be your treasure. They can be a treasure. You only reach this place of resting in your faith and resting in the fact that I'm okay no matter what happens whenever God is at the center of everything for you. Because he doesn't disappoint. Sometimes when I go through these times and I go through times of struggle and panic and anxiety and I'm like, God, I see this coming and I don't want it to come, but I'm not sure what you're going to do yet. Because I know this may be a time of plenty or this may be a time of need. I don't know what you're doing yet and I really want it to be a time of plenty. I remind myself of these eight things. Number one, God is good. God is good. He does not wish for my evil. He does not wish for me to hurt or be in pain. God is good. Number two, God loves you. Not the kind of love that says, oh yeah, if we, let's get together sometime. God loves you fully and completely in your successes and in your failures, in their triumphs and in your less thans. God loves you. When you're surrounded by no one else that seems to love you, God loves you. When you go to work and you're pretty sure your boss hates you, God loves you. God loves you. 
God loves me. I have to remind myself of that. God is good. God loves me. A third thing, God knows best. God knows best. I want to think I know best because that way I can be in control. But God knows best. God knows when I need a time of need instead of a time of abundance. God knows when I need to be humbled rather than feel good about myself. God knows when I need to be disciplined or when I need to be encouraged. God knows best. God knows when I need to lose my job. I need to lose my house. I need to get sick. My kids need to get sick. God knows best. And when we give him that control, when we give him that place in our lives, our fear begins to melt away. Four, God is working for your benefit in the loss of your job, in the loss of your family member, in the loss of whatever you thought made you special and now you don't feel special anymore. God is working for your benefit. God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Number five. God can use everything, everything to help you become complete. If you've been with us for a while, you know that's when we hear about being perfect in Scripture, being whole or complete. It's not being without fault or error. God can use everything, your failures, your successes, your strengths, your weaknesses, your gifts, your liabilities. God can use everything to help you become complete because that is His goal for you. Number six. God knows exactly what you are dealing with. He tells us to bring all our cares and concerns to Him, but He already knows. He's just giving us the opportunity to voice it. Number seven, God has a plan to use it for His glory. Not necessarily yours. That doesn't feel good, does it? God's doing all this for His glory. But here's the thing. His glory is good for us. Number eight. God is not abandoning you. He is growing you. When you begin to understand the lengths that God will go to bring you to that place of fullness and completeness, you begin to trust His plan and His process. I've lost everything. And God's using that to make me complete. That's why James said, count it a joy when you experience trials because it's going to make you complete. God is doing this to grow you, not abandon you. Here's what I want to leave you with. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He's talking about these other, he talks about the love of money, but if you insert anything other than him there, keep your life free from the love of money and be, what's, there's that word again content with what you have for he has said i will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me contentment is the enemy of fear i'm okay no matter what and finally when you live your life in simple faith the anxieties of this life can't find a foothold to hurt you I want to talk about this more this next year. I want to spend a lot of time this next year talking about living more simply. It solves a lot of our problems. And I can't go into that now. 
It's Christmas time. Nothing simple about that, right? Except that Jesus loves us and he came into the world. I will tell you one other thing. Be wise about what you subject yourself to. Recognize that there are whole industries that make a lot of money off your anxiety. I saw a, a news article. There, there's, airport. there's an airport in uh, Great Britain. Somebody's flying drones over. They had to ground a bunch of planes. Here's the headline I saw. New reasons to be afraid to fly. That was the headline. Major news network. There are lots of industries that want you to be afraid because you tune into their product. Be wise about what you subject yourself to. See, once they've got you and you're afraid, then you've got to go find out, well, what else am I supposed to be afraid of? Or what are they doing about this thing I'm already afraid of? You know, in the medical profession, we've got some great physicians in our city. But don't you love the commercials that just constantly tell you that you're falling apart? You didn't know you were falling apart, but after hearing their description, you're like, I'm pretty sure I need that drug. And then you go ask your doctor about it. I need it. I'm dying here. You know, WebMD is one of the most wonderful and then one of the most horrible things ever invented. I think I'm dying. Oh, no, you just, you know, got a rash. That's all. (laughs) You know. Be careful what you subject yourself to. This is why Scripture tells us, focus your mind on the things that are good, whole, trustworthy, true. Focus on those good things. Because where you focus your attention, that shapes your perspective. God is saying, I've got this. I've got you. I love you. You are precious to me. I'm taking care of you. And listen, when this is all said and done, that's when the real living starts. Because we'll be with Him forever. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your love and grace, the peace that you give us through Christ. I pray for those that are in the room and and they're struggling with anxiety in a way that this sounds so simplistic. And uh, God, I just know that your spirit is the answer for peace. I pray that they would experience that and they would find what it means to trust you fully, that to know that you love them, that you are good, that you are working for their benefit. You will never abandon them and that you are working to grow them into the person you were that they were created to be. I pray with those steps that need to be taken because some of us are anxious because we needed to do something and we didn't do it. Give us the gumption to go and do it. Get it off our plate and so we don't have to worry about it again. For those that are going to be struggling in relationships with others and they are just not certain they're going to be able to make it, Father, I pray that you would not only be with them, but you would allow them to go as your agent, as an agent of the gospel into wherever homes that they're headed, into work, if it's at work, uh, in their own home, if it's in their own home, be agents of the gospel to bring healing, peace, love, and joy, even when it is not reciprocated. God, I thank you for your son, and I am so thankful we get to celebrate that at this time of year. Thank you for loving us so much that you would come in the, in, in the form of a, of a man, that you would die on the cross so that we could be at peace with you and we could live forever with you. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.